I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Tony Dickerson, a member of the Garden Advisory Team. In our podcast, we're committed to bringing you the best in gardening from people who love plants. RHS experts, scientists, garden designers, nursery people. We share our thoughts, ideas and research into all aspects of horticulture, from growing tomatoes in containers to avant-garde designers at the Chelsea Flower Show. And each episode is jam-packed with practical and topical advice. We are passionate about all things green. Whether you're a horticultural novice or a veteran, in our podcast there is something to interest everyone. Coming up in this episode, highlights of the spectacular Wisley Flower Show. And, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, question time. One of the many benefits of being an RHS member is that you can put your gardening questions to our expert advice team for free at any time of the year. We can be reached by phone, post or email or you can talk to us in person in our gardens or at any of the RHS flower shows. By the way, if you can, please send us photos of your problematic plants. These are very useful when we're trying to answer your question. Every month on this podcast, the advisory team put the kettle on and get together to discuss some of the queries we've received recently. Hello, my name's Lee Hunt. Today I'm joined by Guy Barter, our Chief Horticulturist, and Dr Hayley Jones, who works for our entomology team. Um, Hayley, what is an entomology team? What do you actually do? Here at the RHS, the entomology team tends to deal with any inquiries that deal with animals. Anything that moves, pretty much, is, is our remit. Well, our first question comes from uh, Mr. Smith by email, and he says, My lilies were ravaged by the beetle this year. How can I stop this happening again this year? Now, which beetle do we think this is, Hayley? Okay, so this is probably referring to the lily beetle or the red lily beetle. Um, And we actually have a survey for this pest, so we've been tracking its distribution throughout the UK. So it would be really good if Mr Smith could go onto our website and submit a sighting. But what can you do? They're very persistent pests. Um, The adults are, are very sturdy and can be very hard to get rid of. So the best bet is to inspect the plants very thoroughly from late March. Um, to remove any beetles you'll find. And you're particularly looking for the larvae, which are a kind of a reddy browned colour, but they cover themselves in their own wet black excrement. So they're quite funny looking. You usually find them on the undersides of the leaves grazing away. So yeah, if you start looking in early, uh, from late March, then you should hopefully be able to find them and remove them by hand. Or if there's too many, a spray containing Lambda Cyhalothrin or Delta Methrin should do the trick. 
Now, it's probably a job for a pair, with a pair of gloves, but being autumn into winter, a lot of people seem to worry about the grubs being in the ground. Are they there? And, and can you do anything practically about those? No, there's nothing you can do about the overwintering stages. It's really next spring that you should focus your efforts. So it's one to wait. And if you're an organic gardener, um, you can spray them with natural pyrethrins. Uh, these are very effective and approved for use in organic systems. Hayley, just tell us about the purpose of the survey. So because this is actually a non-native pest, the red lily beetle was first found in the UK in 1939, and then it's gradually started spreading throughout the UK. So our survey is so that we can track how far it's got and see where it's currently present. And in terms of the distribution, where is it not at the moment? Well... It stayed for the first 40 years quite localised around um, the kind of the London area. Uh, But in the last couple of decades, it's spread. And now it's everywhere in England and making quite a good headway into Scotland, too. So really, our Scottish listeners should see if particularly if they've got anything they can add to your records this coming season. That would be good. Guy, I think you've got the next question. Yes, um, and Michael Goggins from Birmingham writes in to say, I'd like to plant some containers with bulbs for colour in the spring. Can you recommend some interesting combinations? He adds, I don't like red tulips. Oh, yes, red. It's a red card to many of us, isn't it? But the, the good news is there's plenty of other options that you can choose. I would try and actually think about getting a more of a spread of display in, from your containers through the season. So I tend to start in late January, early February with mini iris. They're really the first thing to come out. They really are quite tiny. Often they're only sort of about 10 centimetres tall. They're in dark, inky colours. So we're talking about blues and purples. I like the slightly brighter one called Cantab, and it is a bit more of a Cambridge blue. With that container, I would then follow it on with some muscari or grape hyacinths where they have the little bubbles going up the stems uh, in those powdery blue uh, colours, particularly with the variety called Valerie Finis, which is now much more widely available. And I'd follow it on with a contrasting tulip. Now, um, there's one called Ryeka, which is an amazing reflexed petaled lily flower tulip where they splay out and they have purple and white tones in them. So you you get this sort of almost like um, blackcurrant sorbet colours in the, the petals. Um, now it's called I think Rijika or Rijeka but not knowing where the pronunciation comes from it's R-A-J-K-A and that one is quite widely available Um, if you do like red tulips I'd also recommend choosing one called Rococo which is a bright red parrot with lots of green subtle tones in it and that's like one of those Rembrandt tulips which is fringed and um, has uh, really sort of very open frantic petals for something much simpler uh, that flowers at the same time i choose the daffodil pipit which is pale lemon scented and i'd mix it with again a flamed tulip in lemon and sort of dark burgundy colors called grand perfection they flower at the same time you can underplant with pansies and that will give a very sort of sure-fired scented display Okay, so we've got an email from Felicity Fox who says, there are bare patches on my lawn after the grandchildren's visits this summer. How can I fix them? At this season, September, October... 
there's an excellent chance that grass seed will germinate really well. So you can put the fork into about six inches, 15 centimeters, and loosen the soil with a bit of wiggling. And then you can use your rake to scratch up a bit of loose soil, sprinkle on grass seed, firm it um, gently, and uh, if it's at all dry, give it a water. And with any luck, the grass will germinate. Try not to walk on it over the winter. And by spring, it should be fit to run the mower over. Alternatively, if you've got any spare bits of turf um, anywhere, you can try lifting those and um, often put a seed tray down and go round it with a lawn edging iron, which is a kind of spade that's got a half moon shape that cuts um, cuts the, a nice neat edge and take these squares and fill in the gaps. The difficulty is with adding seed is the seed is often seed grown grass is often a good deal greener than the grass that's already there so you get a rather green patch in the middle it all evens out in the end of course but if you can use some of the turf that's already in your garden the, the join will be imperceptible by the time the grandchildren come back next summer and how long would you expect it to take if you were growing seed at this time of year to fill in well, um, in September, I would expect grass to germinate within about 10 days. But in October, um, it could well be 21 days. So a little whilst wait, but um, it's keeping off it in that time. And then when would you mow? When would you actually do the first cut? Well, I would mow before sowing the seed and then I would leave it as long as possible in the spring before actually mowing it. And I wouldn't mow it down too tight immediately, um, but take it down by about a third of the time to... Um, so as not to stress the grass and it's also worth feeding not now in the autumn but in the spring uh, to give it extra fertilizer to boost it one uh, useful tip is that if you have a patch that you've seeded uh, cover it with some horticultural fleece that'll give it a little bit extra warmth and it'll keep off uh, birds that are liable to peck up and eat the seeds given half a chance are there any varieties do you think that are hard wearing for the average lawn? Because it sounds like this is going to be an issue next summer too. Well, the thing with lawns is that the grasses um, that eventually settle down to what will grow in your garden. And these grasses can um, be quite good or they can be quite poor. And if there's going to be an issue with wear, um, it's worth considering the uh, grasses that are sold as uh, utility grasses with dwarf perennial uh, ryegrass in that's remarkably robust but are not the very finest turf and it may be worth using these to mend any patches another thing you can do which is much used by professional um, sports pitch uh, keepers is to overseed the whole lot so certainly seed the bare patch and then uh, apply grass seed over the whole lawn um, again after you've spiked it ideally and after it's been given a bit of a rake and with luck, uh, that grass seed will also intermingle with the existing grass. It'll make the new patch less obvious, and it'll also give a, a wear-resistant grass mixed in with the original grass, which may not be so wear-resistant. So in future years, uh, with any luck, uh, the wear will gradually select out the non-wear-resistant grasses, leaving the resistant grass that you've sown, and you will get a better lawn. Uh, use grass seed at half the recommended rate when you're overseeding, as this is called. Now, if things go wrong um, and it doesn't work, don't despair because you can have another go next April when the soil warms up again. So Mrs. Jones has emailed in and she's from Salford. Slugs, she says, how can I stop them eating my potatoes? I'm fed up with holy potatoes. 
Well, Hayley, I think this is a job for an entomologist. What would you do to stop getting holy potatoes? Yes. Well, the first thing to know is it's a particular group of slugs that tend to do this damage to the tubers underground called the long-keeled slugs from the Molassidae family. Um, And because they spend most of their time underground, it can be quite hard to control them. They don't come up to the surface to encounter slug pellets very often. So your best bet is probably to use nematodes. So how would we actually spot these slugs? What what are the differences? Are they can we sort of obviously see a difference between the slugs we might see around our garden? Yes, if you ever um, dug up your potatoes and found them kind of in the act of eating them, you'd notice they're quite small and very dark black. Um, And they're called the long-keeled slugs because of the shape of their tail. But that might be a bit of a specialist feature for you to notice. So when you plant the potatoes out, it's a good idea to um, sprinkle either slug pellets between the potatoes or to use nematodes. Now, the nematodes, there's a particular product called nemaslug, and this contains a species of nematode, which is a microscopic worm, that infects slugs um, and kills them. Um, so this is a biological control, and because they're living organisms, they need to be between 5 and 20 degrees um, Celsius in the soil to live and work well. So if you're going to use these, you buy them and you mix them up and water them into the soil, but you have to keep the soil quite moist afterwards to help them do their job and go and seek out the slugs. And what time would you do that to get the, the sort of right temperature and the best control? So... Uh, um, There's still time before it gets too cold this autumn to do a treatment and then you can use them um, from about mid to late spring, kind of depending on temperature. If there's still frosts about, then it'll kill the nematodes off, so it's not worth applying them then. It's also worth noting that the slugs like soils with lots of organic content. So if you really have a problem with slugs, it's probably better to use inorganic fertilizer rather than the organic stuff. And there's also different varieties of potatoes that you can buy and some of them are less susceptible. Now, Guy, as a seasoned potato grower, I bet you've got some additional tips here. Yeah, um, slugs are most active in late summer. And if you can grow what are called second early potatoes, which mature uh, in August rather than September, then you can often sidestep the slugs. And good varieties of second early potatoes include ones like Mozart and Bonnie. Um, These nowadays are very disease resistant. They're also resistant to soil um, pests as well. So they are an excellent choice. Ideally, buy the seed early, chit it. This advances their physiological age, as it's called, so that they mature earlier. The the, um, stems die back into the soil quite early on. And then plant them up as early as feasible. And by late summer, end of July, early August, they're beginning to die back and they're ready to be lifted and stored away um, so the slugs uh, can't get at them. And uh, this also neatly sidesteps the problem of potato blight, for which there's no fungicides sold to gardeners anymore. But those potatoes can be stored away before the late summer blight epidemic as well. Hayley, you mentioned about slug pellets. There are two different types, aren't there? Do you want to explain when you might use both or if there is any difference? Yes, so the um, the two types of slug pellets, one contains uh, metaldehyde. So this is um, a synthetic chemical um, and it is kind of the most most widely used and probably been around the longest of the slug pellets. Um, whereas the other possible ingredient is um, ferric phosphate. Now this is certified as organic because it is a naturally occurring um, chemical. It's So it's less toxic, um, 
if you want to use this organic approach but it is it still can be toxic to um, pets and children so it should still be treated with care i presume it's still toxic to slugs as well yes <laughs> it's worth mentioning that um, when using slug pellets it's essential to follow the advice on the label and typically this will give you an exact guidance on how thickly to apply the pellets and most uh, slug pellet labels will tell you to apply them very thinly much more thinly than you might imagine and this greatly reduces the already small risk of slug pellets harming wildlife or pets but because the baits attract slugs to them they're still highly effective the rhs garden advice team last week saw wisley hold its spectacular late summer flower show opened by dame penelope keith the Lush Flora Extravaganza also hosted the National Dahlia Society annual show. Plus, there was a record 55 nurseries with expert growers on hand to advise visitors on extending the flowering season, choosing plants for autumn colour and planning for spring. Hello, I'm Peter Jones, garden manager here at RHS Garden Wisley, and this year is our best ever flower show. Some of the highlights for me at this year's show are the National Dahlia Society are having their National Dahlia Show uh, and you can see an amazing array of dahlias here, some that are as big as your head and some that are just as big as your thumbnail and it is quite mind-blowing the colours and forms that you can see there. This year at Wisley's Flower Show we have had 17 nurseries that we've never had before. Um, we have got various bulb suppliers. We've got a wonderful chap called Aldo Airplants that brings his Talansias over from Belgium. So where you can go and see different uh, epiphytes that live off moisture in the air. And if it's flower arranging that gets you going, this year we've got a wonderful display by the National Association of Flower Arranging Societies here at Wisley. Uh, their theme has been Strictly Ballroom and there has been some amazing displays from pole dancing flower arrangements to a wonderful array of floral stilettos. I've come away with um, a ginger rosemary and a beautiful fern that can be grown in a hanging basket and quite a few other plants. So I came here to get some inspiration and Wisley is always a good place to go to get unusual plants for the garden, especially ferns. My name's Stephen Fletcher. Uh, we come from Suffolk and the company name is Fanatics. We've got climbing ferns, we've got um, trailing ferns, plants from uh, Africa, Asia, a lot of British natives, because a lot of people like British natives, Japan. We've got lots of hardy maidenhairs. Um, you name it. This is called Alliantum rizii, uh, which is a British native. It dates back over 100 years. I've put it in a hanging basket, which I've lined with moss, and then put it on an unfortunate tree fern that passed away a few years ago. Um, this one here is Salalgenella, which comes from Africa. It's kind of a fern relative, um, almost like a fern moss cross but surprisingly goes down to minus five. So providing the winters are kind, you can keep that outside right the way through the year. Otherwise, very easy to propagate and you can grow it indoors as well on the windowsill. Mainly, we always say to all customers, it's either shade or semi-shade. Many will take dry, and I always say the clue's in the name. If you want to grow a fern on dry shade, dry opteris. It starts with dry that's a good clue. Also, we're always trying to educate people because they think they're just green and boring. And um, if you actually stop and look at them, they're very diverse and extremely hardy and very adaptable and slug-free. And they'll live as long as you do. 
I mean, what more can I say? Hello, I'm uh, Aldo and uh, I run the company Aldo Airplanes and we introduce airplanes and a little bit of orchids. Uh, our company is based in Belgium and we come three times a year to uh, London shows, uh, the Orchid Show in London, the Hampton Court Show and here the Wesley Show. Actually, airplanes are plants that in the millions of years decided to go uh, on trees because they uh, were a bit crowded <laughs> in the jungle. So they start growing on trees, a bit like mistletoe, but not exactly the same. And they feed off air and dew and rain. I mean, there are about 600 different types. You get them from two, three, two, three inches big till uh, 10 inches big, you know. They are quite easy. The maintenance is actually uh, for all the same. Like Give the good spray, or like a little shower, once a week. The leaves, they will work like a sponge. When you spray them, they will take all that moist in, storage it, and live off that for the rest of the week. Yeah, this is actually one of the smallest one even. It's only two, uh, two inches tall. Looks a bit like a pineapple. Huh? And actually the nicest thing about that, when it flowers, it indicates you I'm going to flower, and it turns all into pink. Then actually for the insects and the colibris, they have a different f way of viewing things. And they say, oh, there is something wrong there. We have to go and look and, and pollinate them. This green stuff and gray stuff, oh, there's nothing wrong there, so we don't go there. But with this blushy pink, whoop, it's like the girls, you know. When you want to attract a, a boy, what you do? You put on some blush and look much attractive, so boys come. <laughs> it's about the same. <laughs> I come here to take photographs of some of the flowers, be a bit creative. Um, have a cup of tea in the cafeteria and see some of the flowers in the flower show, particularly the dahlias. Well, I have dahlias in my garden, but the slugs eat them all. Slugs love dahlias. Well, I found that if you put your dahlias on a table with a tablecloth, and then the slugs can't go up the inside, down, and up the tablecloth. I'm Dave Gillam from the National Dahlia Society. I'm chairman of our society. We're here at Wisley because it's our national show, which is the pinnacle of, of the showing season. With any plant, and, and dahlias are an easy turnaround, you know, you can plant a very small plant in early June and by end of August you've got flowers. You, you've seen some rewards for your efforts. And the variety and the breadth that there is in the dahlias, from, from the single flowered to the giants, and from 8 to 300 petals, there's so much choice and variety in colour and form. If you can't find something you like <laughs> in there, then it's probably time to not grow, grow plants. So, so we're looking at the, the individual, this is the individual national championship, which needs five classifications. All flower start-up palms, varieties like this, Ronda Suzanne, and further up the bench there, we've got one called Gertler Twilight, are good, reliable palms. They carry up to 300 petals in a two-inch flower. So they are literally a ping-pong ball on a stick but with, with a honeycomb texture because of the amount of flower that's in there. And they're very weather resilient, bulletproof flowers. Um, and that's a good place to start. You're gonna have 40 or 50 flowers on the plant on, on one of these, and they need it to, to get that free flowering habit. Um, moving up into the miniatures, which are flowers up to four inches. So hardly miniature, but um, in our standards, they, they, they tend to be. You've got varieties like Mary's Germanda, and its parent, it was a colour sport of an orange one called Jamanda, that are good, free-flowering, strong-stemmed, 
bright colour, it's a lovely cerise pink um, that's going to stand out in the garden and be weatherproof. Up to some of the bigger ones and the smalls, Winholm Diane is a lovely fresh yellow and it's been reliable for, for years now, for many, many years. Newer varieties like Blyce and Everest, which is a lovely white with a, a blush, is a newer variety, but it tends to be slightly more weather resilient than what the, the Dianes are. The, the, the yellow petaled flowers tend to be slightly softer by nature and will be affected by the weather more. The whites um, can be quite hard. It's, it's quite strange how colour matters, but Blyce and Everest would be a good way to go if you want a small decorative Dahlias have always been a sort of late summer autumn flower and I think that encouragement of just seeing the results of your labour really um, is, is why people do it and they will, they will walk into a garden centre or, or buy a, a tuber from a packet, pop it in the ground and they've got flowers and they're rewarded and want to then let's have more and it doesn't take long before you're at your village show and you're putting your first vase on the bench and, and you think well what else is there and hopefully you find us and uh, you find out what there really is out there to do. The late summer show here at Wisley. And although autumn is approaching, there are still plenty of shows and events for you to enjoy. Here's a taste of what's on offer in the coming weeks. If you'd like to know more about the small but beautiful world of alpine plants, join the alpine team at Harlow Cart on the 30th of September for the amazing Alpines Garden Walk. Learn from the specialists about selecting suitable plants and how to care for them. Another course to book a place on is Hyde Hall's What's Now Your Garden in October and November on the 8th of October. Take home expert advice and inspiration on bulbs, protecting tender plants and cutting back. At Rosemore, garden curator John Webster will be leading a guided walk with practical demonstrations on what to do in the garden this autumn. Join him on the 4th of October to find out more about tasks including planting trees and shrubs and dividing herbaceous perennials. As blousy herbaceous displays start to fade in the autumn, other delights appear in the garden, including delicate cyclamens. The Cyclamen Society Autumn Show takes place at Wisley on the 9th of October. Enjoy colourful displays of cyclamen as well as autumn flowering bulbs. Finally, start planning which RHS flower shows you want to visit next year and enjoy a great day out with friends and family. RHS members can already buy their tickets for the 2017 flower shows and public ticket sales start on the 3rd of October. If you want to visit the first RHS Chatsworth Flower Show, both RHS members and public tickets are already available. Full details of all events and many more are on our website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash events search. Well, that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in two weeks. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and all here at Wisley, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. 
and I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.